There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's go to John 21 then. That's fine. If you're visiting, some of you are saying, what kind of preacher is this? He lets the people pick the text. But we've been here, John chapter 20, John chapter 21, for the last three days. And how many of you did your homework and you read all John 21? Oh, that's good. Isn't it a great chapter? It's wonderful. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you to go back and read it again. Uh, Read it on uh, the next two or three days coming out of this meeting and pray that the Lord will be thorough with you and show you things. And I think you'll continue to hear the Lord speaking to you by His Spirit. We've come now to the last meeting that we have together, at least for a little while, and to the last message that I have the privilege to preach to you. And uh, let me just say this. When I come to the, to the end of a meeting like this, I always come with mixed emotions I'm thrilled and rejoicing in what God has done, and I praise God for the refreshing presence of the Holy Spirit. But I come to the end of a meeting like this wondering, and I mean by that I come wondering what will grow out of this meeting. You see, I am convinced that the greatest days in the meeting are not the days of the meeting. The greatest days of any meeting are the days leading up to the meeting and the days coming out of the meeting. In other words, you spent many days in prayer leading up to this meeting, and I know that because of the liberty that has been in the place to preach the Word of God. That doesn't happen by accident. Somebody's been praying. Maybe many somebodies have been praying, and I thank you for that. But I want you to know that when you come to the end of a meeting like this, this is not the end of what God wants to do. This is really the launching pad for everything God wants to say and wants to accomplish. I'm not preaching tonight for tonight. I'm preaching tonight for six weeks from now, six months from now. What shall we meet in glory someday that grew out of this meeting? And so I bring you very naturally as we've come through the passage to the last message. And I'm not talking about my last message. It is the last message of John's gospel record. And even more specifically, it is the last message Jesus personally gave to Peter. It's the last message. Aren't you glad God speaks and he continues to speak to us? As a matter of fact, I was thinking this afternoon, we'll read in just a second, but I was thinking this afternoon about how Peter must have felt so dejected. He just failed the Lord, he blew it. And Jesus comes out of the tomb and says to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why would he have to call Peter's name? Because no doubt Peter felt like, I'm not a disciple anymore. And I love the beautiful revelation of the mercy of God that Jesus called him by name. And I want to say to you tonight, 
God's been so merciful to every one of us. He calls us by name. He is the God of new beginnings. He is the God of second chances. And I just want to pause and say, bless the holy name of Jesus Christ. We know that somewhere after the resurrection of Christ, he had a a private personal encounter with Peter. I don't think this is it. I think there was a previous encounter with just the Lord and Peter that is not recorded for us in Scripture, a high holy moment, a, a sacred time. And by the way, some of the most precious sacred moments are not the ones in public when everybody else is around and we have a good service. Some of them are when it's just you and the Lord. And I want to recommend to you that you have some of those. But now as we near the end, Jesus has breakfast with seven disciples. What a breakfast it must have been. And the Bible says in John chapter 21 and verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter. Pause just a moment. Notice the shift. They had dined, but Jesus speaks to one. My pastor used to say this, a great meeting is a meeting where God speaks to you. Somebody said, oh, we've had a great meeting. We've had great crowds, and we've had great music, and we've seen people saved and lots of response. Wait a minute. Did God speak to you? Because if God didn't speak to you, friend, you missed it. Fanny Crosby, the famed hymn writer, gave her testimony one afternoon at a jail in lower Manhattan in a prison to a bunch of rough men, and she prayed for them, and as she was leaving The jail complex, they were leading Fanny down the corridor to the exit. She's blind, of course, and her hearing was very acute. And she said as she got to a certain place in the corridor, she heard a man, lots of people talking and laughing and jeering and commenting, but she heard a man about halfway down the corridor, and she said, I knew he wasn't talking to me. I could tell he was praying, and he wasn't on my level. He was down on his face. He was low near the ground. And she said, all I heard him say as they led me past his cell were these words, Oh, dear Lord, please don't pass me by. Fanny Crosby got home that night, laid in bed. She said she couldn't go to sleep. All she could think about were the words that man had prayed. She got out of bed and wrote, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I say again, God gets you in a place where there may even be many around, but the Lord zeroes in on you. And when you get on his frequency and get in tune with heaven, he turns his attention to you individually and speaks personally. And Look what he says to Simon Peter. Simon, son of Jonas. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? Let's just stop for a second. And let me tell you, sometimes we need to get grieved. Everybody wants to be blessed. The blessing doesn't come first. The conviction comes first. And every now and then, we need to get a holy unsettling in our souls. The restlessness that precedes the revival. Peter got grieved And he said to him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him he should not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And all God's people said... Amen. I must tell you, there's a lot in this message. I mean, it's quite a message. It's not my sermon. It's Jesus' sermon. I'm preaching somebody else's sermon tonight. It's the Lord's message. But let's boil it down to something. See, every great message has really one big idea that everything else revolves around. So what's the big point? What's the bottom line? Preacher, tell us in a couple words what it is you're trying to say, all right? Look at the last two words of verse number 19. Jesus looks Peter dead in the eye and says these two words. Would you read them out loud with me, please, church? Verse 19, last two words. Ready? Follow me. And then he repeats himself in verse 22. He presses him a little more, and he says, follow thou me. He gets deeply personal with him. Follow me. And somebody's going to look at that and say, well, that's nothing new. Exactly. It was the Athenians. The people in Athens that spend all their time in either to tell or to hear some new thing. We got the curse of novelty in our day. Everybody wants a new message. Friend, we don't need a new message. We need to return to the old message and a determination by the grace of God to obey it. I would submit to you that the last message that Jesus gave to Simon Peter was actually the very same message that was the first message he gave to Simon Peter. Let me prove it to you. Hold your place here just a second. Go back with me to Mark chapter 1 because this is where it all started, you see. This is where it all began for Simon Peter with his encounter with Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. Now, as he, that's Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. In so many words, he said what? Follow me. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I love this. He doesn't say, look, change yourself, ship up, shape up, uh, turn over a new leaf, make something of yourself. That's not what he says. He says this. He says, you follow me, and I'll make you to become what I want you to become. I love that. See, I'm under construction tonight. Did you know that? How many of you are still under construction? Aren't you glad God's not finished with you yet? Oh, yeah. You know what he's doing? He's working right now making you to become everything he wants you to become. And here's the beauty of it. That journey started on the day you first followed him, but it continues every day until you see him face to face. 
That's why the Bible says that the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. It means, look, you're on the journey. Paul said, I've not yet apprehended, but I am following after. Sound familiar? Jesus says, follow me, and then, all right, Lord, I followed you. Now what? Keep on following. He says, come to me, and now what, Lord? Keep on coming. I've obeyed you, Lord. What? Keep on coming. Keep on obeying. I believed in you, Jesus. Good. Keep on living the life of faith. In other words, the simplicity of it all is this, that we must continue to be true followers of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the aim. Nothing more and nothing less. And this is beautiful to me because the last words of any man are significant. Would you agree with that? And a man's about to die, I mean, he gets down to what's really important. He, away with all the fluff, let's get to the crux of the matter. And here, the Lord Jesus is not about to die. He's already done that once and rose from the dead, but he is about to leave them. And the last message he gives to Simon Peter, and the last message he gives John to record is this very simple message, like bookends, not just for Peter's life, but for all of our life. And the last message is the lasting emphasis of Jesus Christ to every one of his followers, and it is simply this, you keep on following me. And I'm looking at people who are followers of Jesus Christ tonight, and I'm wondering, will you keep on following? See, I believe that God led us to this emphasis for this closing meeting for this reason because so many times in meetings there is a divine stirring and people begin to take steps in the right direction and then somewhere they stop. And I want you to know the moment you stop following is the moment you stop finding all that God has for you. Could I demonstrate the Christian life for a moment? Would you look up here just saying, I'm going to give you an object lesson. Jesus loved object lessons, so here's the Christian life. Are you ready? Pay close attention. Take good notes. Ready? Here we go. Let's review. Watch, please. Here's the Christian life. It is always taking the next step. And I came tonight on the last night to ask you, what's the next step for you? How many of you want this church to go to the next level? I'm going to tell you how a church goes to the next level when the people in it start taking the next step. How many of you want the next level in your own family? You want that for your kids and your grandkids? And it begins when you, sir, when you, ma'am, take the next step for the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching some months ago, maybe a year or two ago now, on a Wednesday night in a church, and a woman came forward, and she was weeping, and I didn't know her, but when, when I was done with my part of the invitation, the pastor said, Sister so-and-so is coming. She's been saved, but she's never been scripturally baptized since she was saved, and she came tonight. She's been under conviction about it to tell the whole church she needs to be baptized. And he said in front of everybody, we'll take care of that on the Lord's Day. And she raised her hand, and she said, no, sir. And I'm like, what's going on here? She's weeping now, and she said, Preacher, if it's all the same with you, I need to take care of that tonight. And he said, Well, sister, I appreciate your heart. He said, But the water's cold. We haven't had the heater on. It's freezing. She raised her hand again. She said, I don't care if it's freezing cold. She said, I don't want to go to bed another night without having done what Jesus told me to do. Somebody said, What happened? We all sat down, and she got baptized in freezing cold water. And you know what I think? 
I think God bless her and may the Lord multiply her kind because that is a true follower of Jesus Christ that says, when I know what the next step is, I'm going to take it and I'm just going to keep following him. Let's walk through the passage quickly. Let me show you some things we must keep at if we're going to keep following. Here's the first one. Notice what he says in John chapter 21 and verse number 15. Three times he asked Simon Peter, do you love me? So here's the first one. Would you write it down? Number one, if we're going to keep following, number one, we have to keep loving Jesus. I hope you've fallen more deeply in love with Christ over these last few days by getting a glimpse of him. But the hymn writer had it right. It is deeper and deeper into the love of Jesus I go. So many people are willing, excuse me, to play around in the shallow end of the pool and say, I know God loves me. I love the Lord. And we even sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But I wonder, do we really? Do you want to know what maturity in the Christian faith looks like? A deepened understanding of the love of God. I've read for years the history of great revivals, and one of the marks of revival, you mentioned earlier one of them, which was an exuberance in singing. People just say they want to worship. It's like, it's like when people get revived, God opens them up. I mean, even timid, shy people suddenly are speaking about the Lord, and somebody says, that's not like them. No, that's the Lord in them. But one of the other great marks of real revival is this. You read it for yourself. In almost every great awakening that ever took place, people got overwhelmed, I mean absolutely overcome, with the love of God. That shouldn't surprise us because the Apostle Paul prayed that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passeth understanding. What does that mean? It means you're never going to exhaust the love of God it means that when you're living a revived life, you're falling more in love with Jesus Christ every day. By the way, Peter had to say it. Hey, Peter, say it. You, you said you didn't know me. You said it out loud. You said it out loud. You even cursed one time. I want you to say out loud, you love me. I love you, Lord. It's good for us to say it. It'll do something for your heart for you to tell somebody, I love Jesus. Matter of fact, let's just practice. Turn to the person next to you and tell them right now, would you please? I love Jesus. Now, don't you lie. If you don't, don't say you love him. But I'm going to tell you, it does something for you and it does something for them when people just start talking about the love of Christ. But wait a minute. Don't you stop with saying it. Live it. Why do you think Christ kept pressing him? Because he wanted him to think it through. And somebody said, well, he, he denied three times, so the Lord made him confess three times. Perhaps that is true. I, I can't get into all the mind of God, but I know this. I know the Lord wanted something sealed in Peter's mind that he was not soon going to get away from. Say it, Peter. And then let it be demonstrated in the way you live your life. Let some action grow out of it. Excuse me, don't just sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and then live for this world because whatever you love, you live for. No wonder he said, do you love me more than these? I've heard so much debate about what the these is. Was the these the fish? <laughs> it seems comical to me that the Lord would say, do you love me more than these fish? Perhaps. Peter liked fishing. Do you love me more than these boats and nets and all the old life? Do you, do you love me more than these other disciples? I don't think that's what the Lord meant because, you see, the comparison is not with one another, it's with him. So what is the these? I would just say all of the above. 
Yes. Jesus says, do you love me more than anything? Do you love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength? By the way, did you know when Jesus quoted that passage from Deuteronomy, he added one? Read the Old Testament account of loving the Lord with all, and then when Jesus quoted in the Gospels, he added one. Somebody says, can he do that? He's God. He wrote it to start with. You know what he added? Your mind. The word he uses for mind is the same word we get our word imagination from. You want to know whether you really love Jesus or not? What do you think about in your downtime? When you're laying in bed at night, where does your mind go? In the downtime of the day, where do your thoughts drift to? That will tell you what you truly do love. And Jesus says, look, I want you to love me more than words. I want you to love me more than these. I want you to love me in, more, in a way more than just mere affection. As a matter of fact, the word Jesus uses for love here is the word agape. It's God's love. And every time Peter answers him, do you know what word he uses? He uses a different word, the word for friendship. It's almost like this, excuse me. It's like God says, do you love me with all your heart? And Peter says, I'm fond of you. And I wonder sometimes if we aren't just fond of Jesus, but we really haven't fallen in love with him. By the way, can I share the mercy of God again? The third time Jesus asked the question, guess what Jesus does? He adopts Peter's word. (laughs) Watch this. He comes to where Peter is. And he says, Peter, I, I don't think really you love me like you ought to love me yet, but let's start right where you are. And let's just take the next step. Number one, you're going to keep following? You're going to have to keep loving Jesus. Number two, would you write this down? If you're going to keep following, you're going to have to keep ministering to others. Notice how quickly he gets there. He says, if you love me, feed them. See, when you go to love Christ, you go to love those that Christ loves. Who does Christ love? Every man. He loves the little lambs and he loves the older sheep and everybody in between. He reveals to you it's not about you, it's about them. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Peter was a good fisherman? Now, this night was not a good test because he didn't catch anything, right? He was a professional fisherman. I think he was probably pretty good. He made a living at it. Now, listen to me, please. Could he go back to fishing? Could he have gone back to fishing, yes or no? Yes, he could have, just like that. But there's always a difference between what you could do and what you should do. And Jesus says to him, I want you to know, if you want to spend the rest of your life catching fish, if you want to go back to where I found you, you can do that, but that's not what I have for you. i got something much better for you than that. I've got a life of you feeding my flock. You want a great church? You had to have a great church. Let every member of the church, every person in the body, determine they're going to minister. Let me just say this. You have a wonderful pastor. I really mean that. I I loved his spirit. I said to a man on the phone today, I told him who I was with, and I said, this pastor has the spirit of Christ. And we were driving down the road talking about the Lord. He he gets tenderhearted about talking about Jesus. He gets tenderhearted about talking about souls. That's wonderful. That's the kind of pastor I'd want to have my family under. I'd be very happy to have my family in a church like this church. You've got a wonderful minister. But listen to me, please. If you want to see what God's going to do, every follower becomes a minister. Everybody finds their place of service, ministering to the lambs and helping the sheep and encouraging one another and getting the gospel to the lost. Brother Fred and I went out witnessing for a little while this afternoon. I enjoyed just being out with him. I just enjoyed listening to him. And I said to the pastor, and I mean this, if God lets me live, I hope I can keep the passion that man has for souls. I mean every word of that. 
Because most people I meet, after a while, it all cools down, and they used to be a witness, but they're not anymore. They used to tell people about Jesus and carry gospel tracts, but they don't anymore. And today we had the joy and privilege of seeing a precious woman and her 18-year-old son call on Christ for salvation. It's wonderful. By the way, did you notice that didn't happen in the four walls of this church? It happened out yonder where the lost people are. Everybody says, the evangelist is coming to town. Or anything, an evangelist wins a town? The Great Commission doesn't say open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find us. It says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you've got a beautiful town here filled with lovely people. But look, a church like this kind of church ought to be turning a town like this upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does it happen? When every follower says, I'm going to make it my mission, I'm going to take personal responsibility to get the gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ. And so if we keep following, we keep going. Here's the third one. Would you write it down? If you're going to keep following Jesus, you've got to not only keep loving Jesus and keep ministering to others, but number three, you've got to keep living for eternity. Verse 18, he says to Peter, there was a day you were young. And he said, but you're going to be old. How many of you have lived long enough to know that is a true statement? It's going to happen. Sorry, don't. Look, it doesn't matter how much you exercise, how hard you try. Life's going to move on. But wait a minute, aren't you glad there's more to it than this world? There's the world to come. Look at, look at verse number 19. He said, this make he signifying by what death he should glorify God. Some say, that's depressing, preacher. That's, that's morbid. No, Spurgeon said, if you want to make the most of your life, meditate on your death. Go to the end and work backward. How do you want to end? Look, when you step out of this world into the next, when you step out of time into eternity, when you leave earth and go to heaven and stand before God, what do you want said on that day? Live for that today. Oh, Lord, stamp eternity on our hearts. You think your life is bound by time? You're living in time, but it's not bound by time. You're an eternal soul, and when you live for eternal things and you offer that to an eternal God, friend, then you have something to meet on the other side. I love the past, present, and future in this. He said, thou wast young. That's past. And he says, then there's the future. You're going to be old and you're going to die, but don't miss the present. Look at the end of verse 19. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Did you ever notice that's in the present tense? Right now, right where you are. Listen, the will of God is never future and never past. It is always present. And I'm going to tell you why. Because our God is a present tense God. His name is not the I was or the I will be. It is the I am. And that means our ever-present God, the eternal God at this moment is looking for some people who will truly begin to live with understanding and urgency for eternity. I'm going to tell you something. If we could catch a glimpse, just a glimpse, I'm talking about like a 30-second glimpse of heaven and hell, it would change us forever. It changed what we do with our resources. It changed what we do with our time. It changed what we give our energy to. Oh, Lord, give us a glimpse of eternity. We'll be better followers of Christ for it. Here's the fourth one. Would you write it down? If you're going to keep following Jesus, you've got to keep looking to Christ. Oh, it's so easy to get distracted. So easy to get your eyes on people. So easy to change the subject with Jesus. Look at verse 20. Think of this. Jesus just looked you in the face and said, follow me. Yes, Lord. 
How should I follow you? Wouldn't you think that would be the next question? Mm -mm. Verse 20, then Peter, turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? I mean, immediately he's got his eyes off Jesus and on somebody else. By the way, the one that was going to betray him was, was, not, was not John. John was not a betrayer. Would you agree with that? No, he's not a betrayer. And then look at the next verse. Peter, seeing him, saith to him, to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? <laughs> Let me just pause and get real practical for a minute, all right? You want to know why so many people get out of church? Because they get their eyes on everybody else but Jesus. You know how people get bitter and sour and unhappy? And I meet so many people that used to go to church and used to follow the Lord and used to be involved. And you know what happened? They got their eyes on somebody and they got a little wounded. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying they missed the greater one that was there and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, all may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. Jesus is the only one that never changes and will never wound you. If he does wound you, he wounds you to heal you. And I think sometimes we all just need to get our attention back on Christ and Christ alone. And, and the preacher's right. This has been the Holy Spirit's emphasis to us this week. I, I didn't plan all of this. I just, it, being in the way, the Lord led us this way, you see. And I think it's good for all of us. I was out door knocking some time ago, and I asked a man about coming to church. And he said, I don't go to church. He said, a bunch of hypocrites there. I shouldn't have said it. I don't know what came over me. But before I thought about what I was saying, I said, one more won't matter. You ever say something and think, where did that come from? He was shocked. Glad it didn't hit me. And he said to me, what do you mean? And I said, you know, the truth of the matter is we're both sinners, aren't we? He hung his head, looked at the floor. He said, yes, sir. I said, well, if you're a sinner, you're a hypocrite. Because you give off a certain aura to everybody else, but God knows the truth about you just like God knows the truth about me. And I said, you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite in some way. And the other people down at the church are hypocrites. And if you're going to let that keep you away from God's house and God's will for your life, friend, you're never going to be what God wants you to be. You want to keep following Jesus? Keep looking to Jesus. Looking at a Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look, stop looking at the sidelines and look to the finish line. You can't follow Jesus looking at everybody else. If you're going to be a true follower of Christ, then you must keep looking to Christ. Let me give you one more. I was meditating through this passage this week and just looking at it, and I came to the last verse, and I read it, and I thought, well, that's nice. And then I thought, wait a minute. What's the first word of the last verse? And. It's connected to everything before it. It's not like a clever way to sign off. It's not like, okay, we're wrapping it up now. I used to read this verse and, and, and think, well, that's pretty interesting. You know, if Jesus, all the things he did was written, the world couldn't contain the books. Praise the Lord. That means the Lord did a lot. And suddenly it clicked with me this week. I've never paid attention to this before. Do you understand that the last verse of the gospel according to John is actually not an ending, it's a beginning? That the final verse simply says this about God. Listen to me. You can't confine God to history. He's still at work. 
Here's the fifth one. Would you write it down? If you're going to keep following Jesus, number five, you're going to have to keep believing there's more to come. That the ending is actually a new beginning. Look, the devil may lead you to a wall. God leads you to another door. It's not a conclusion. This is a commencement. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I've done this. Skip down. On my Bible, it's the same page. It may not be on your Bible. But look down at Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, that's referring to the gospel according to Luke, of all that Jesus, what? Began both to do and teach. And I've connected these two phrases in my Bible. And back to verse 25, many other things which Jesus did. In other words, he did a lot of things, but friends, he was just scratching the surface when he was here for three and a half years. He's at work today. The word is complete, but the work is not. No more scriptures being written. No more inspiration of men like John to give us new revelation. No more Bible to be added. It's done. The, the canon of Scripture is done. But the same God that inspired this word is still working in our generation. And the same God that spoke through John and worked in Peter is speaking today and working today if we are willing to believe that God has much more for us. Friend, I don't want to coast into glory and neutral. I want to go through with a pedal to the metal. I'd like to finish out of breath at the throne of God. Totally spent, having given everything that God gave me back to him. And I want to tell you, we need some more followers who just want to finish strong and believe the Lord to the very end. As a matter of fact, let's just let them testify. Hey, John, was, was there more to come? I know you wrote this gospel record, and it was really good. We enjoyed these last two chapters. Was there any more to come? Oh, was there more to come? The Lord inspired three more letters. You ought to read them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're really good. And if that wasn't enough, then the Lord, as I followed him, took me out to a little island in the middle of the Aegean Sea all by myself, and he said, Jesus showed up out there. You never know where Jesus will show up. And that's where he found the revelation of Jesus Christ. And how does that one end? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know what it's saying in so many words? There's more to come. More of his grace. More of his power. More of his wisdom. More of his fruitfulness. More of his joy. More of Jesus if you're willing to believe God for that. It's good, John. Thank you for that testimony. Hey, Peter, you were in the middle of this conversation. Was there more to come for you? Oh, was there more to come? See, the Lord's last message to Peter was the precursor of Peter's first message on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's going to stand up and preach. I imagine he preached with a tear in his eye and a quiver in his voice about Jesus of Nazareth. And he must have thought as he spoke of him, I do love him. I really do love him. And as he wrote First and Second Peter, what's he doing? Feeding the sheep. Strengthening the brethren. Just exactly what Jesus told him to do. He just kept on following. By the way, guess how Peter's epistles end. They end with this great admonition. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sounds to me like Peter got it. There's more to come. Just keep believing. And just keep following him. And I bring you in the last message, in the last chapter, in the last verse, 
to the last word. You all believe every word is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? What's the last word of the book? Amen. Somebody said, well, that just that's like, you know, the period. Oh, no, 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 no. Amen is actually one of the names of Christ. Amen is a word of assurance. It is a word of confidence. It is a word of certainty. Isn't it beautiful? A minute ago, he's asking questions. What shall this man do? Who will betray you? Look, don't let your life be defined by questions. Let your life be defined by certainties. Don't let your life be tossed to and fro and up and down and in and out and on and off and hot and cold by what everybody else around you is doing. You make up your mind you're going to follow Jesus until you kneel at nail-pierced feet and give him glory forever. You know what amen is? It is a word that means so be it. And I wonder tonight if you would lend your amen. And not just verbally. Though I like amens in church. The amen of your life. If you will say to the Lord, amen, Lord. I love you, Lord. Amen. I will serve you and minister to others, Lord. Amen. I will keep my eyes off of others and on Jesus alone. Amen, Lord. I will live not for time but for eternity. Amen, Lord. And I will finish my course with joy, still believing there's more to come. Amen, Lord. Because that is the way to continue being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And it's the last message he gives us in this book. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.